Welcome to Gaia's Unexplained Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit GaiaUnexplained.com. It's been said that Americans always seem to fall for a billionaire on horseback, something about an unapologetic grab for power. We've even venerated characters that would normally be relegated to dark chapters of history. One such character is the outlaw Jesse James. His great-great-grandson, Daniel Duke, is here with us today to take a deeper look into the character of a man who amassed large amounts of wealth in the day, but through robbery. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks. This is a little different story for our audience, but I thought it was interesting because, you know, we all, we got to look at, right now, I think in these times, we got to look at our own character. And something about us loves this kind of raw power. Something as Americans, we just love this. And the tales and the number of songs that are dedicated to Jesse James, it, it's unfathomable. And then you'll take a look at what all happened and you think, why? So, welcome. Thank you. And let's talk about why you started doing the research to write these books about your great-great-grandfather and your mom's role in all of this. Because okay. women are going to factor into this story. Okay. Well, my, our, my late mother, she passed in 2015. Her name was Betty Dorset Duke. And uh, she spearheaded the, the family research on Jesse and ended up changing history, you know, established history. It, history had claimed that Jesse died in 1882, and that's the end, you know, shot by one of his fellow gang members. Then that itself rhymes with a lot of historical tales, uh, you know, betrayed by your own your own uh, comrade. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, that all cultures seem to have stories similar to that, yes. and it fit perfect. But my mother, our late mother, she grew up hearing family stories of Jesse James faking his death, came to Texas, and he was her great-grandfather. And then she'd go to school and hear the stories, you know, the historical version of it, where mm -hmm. he was killed in 1882. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to prove once and for all which one was right, the family stories or history. And it just started a long, long journey of gathering evidence and photos, writing letters, and a lot of genealogy uh, yeah. just to, to try to uncover the truth on the story. Well, and she was a strong woman. She's carried a lot of responsibility, and I only bring that up because she's a few generations out, but this was the same for Jesse James' mom, which we'll get into in a moment. She was a strong woman. That's true. And we'll talk about the culture that created the, those kind of really strong women um, who just defended her clan and her sons to the day, well, every day of That's her life. True. So let's talk about the environment of the times. I think this is going to be a really lovely, uh, interesting history lesson for a lot of people who don't officially study history and don't have degrees in it regarding the Civil War. Okay. Talking about what was happening in the South and what was happening in the North. And because Jesse James was more a, a, a supporter of the Confederacy, we need to look at how the South perceived what was being taken away from them understanding the times. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, at the beginning of the Civil War, before it actually started, there, there was fighting a free state versus slave state. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the South made most of their money, and it was usually the wealthy families mm -hmm. that had slaves. Mm -hmm. But they made most of their money from, from slavery and agriculture 
And you, they needed slaves to produce as much agriculture as they were selling, or they thought they needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, I would say in many cases, they probably needed their level of, you know, their, their comfort level. They didn't want to see that drop. Right. So, and, and to make a long story short, I think the average person saw it, and a lot, in a lot of cases, I think the churches— Helped well, churches on both sides. You know, right. in the north, the churches would preach to their congregations that you know freedom. In the south, it was liberty, and they're trying to take our way of life. Right. And it, it, both sides, I I think a lot of churches helped helped stir that up. Yeah. And people in the south, just the common people, probably I would say looked at it as their liberty was getting taken, and they mm-hmm. were defending a way of life that we all agreed today is was very immoral. Yeah, and it's interesting the kinds of wealth that the North had versus what the South had, and as you say, very agriculturally based yeah. in the South. But you know, whether it was cotton, tobacco, or whatever, but these are staples of society, mm-hmm. and these were things that could be traded. So yeah. we're we're looking at, and I have to say this, okay. First of all, slavery has been a uh, a reality throughout human history, where some humans feel they have the right to use and take advantage of other humans. And this has happened all over the globe, is still existing to this day, was happening then. And we look at it and we think, that's horrible. Yeah. But then we, then when it comes to little compromises we have to make, like I'm gonna buy those shoes from a sweatshop where a 10 year old made them. Exactly. And so th- this, I, I bring it up because there's a lot of kind of unacknowledged moral issue involved in all of this across the board. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I love that example because, I mean, you can look at the price of a shirt and and it's a good shirt. It's a brand name. It's quality made. Mm-hmm. And people tend to, oh, it's on the other side of the world. So you're distanced from That's it. That's right. You don't, it's not in your face. Right. So the guilt factor isn't there. Exactly. But it was in our face. It was. In it, the Civil War. That's true. So Civil War went on. We saw what happened. We, we kind of saw how that all turned out. However, there was, we're going to get to Missouri, which is where Jesse and his family were from. And Missouri was kind of the Western kind of outpost for the Civil War and where everybody kind of landed in it. It was, had both Unionists and Confederates there. A lot of fighting in the state of Missouri. But let's talk about what condition it left those people who were, some of whom were fighting in the war, others whose brothers or fathers were, were sympathizers. And they're all jacked up. Now they're feeling ravaged. Jesse, I think, was 16 years old when the war ended. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he so, was very young. He, yeah. he could, today, he would be considered a child soldier. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's on the farm working, and he was plowing the farm the way it went. Frank was off with the Confederacy. That's his brother. And mm-hmm. Frank was, yes, his older brother. Mm-hmm. So Frank was out. He, he had joined the, the regular Confederate forces. Mm-hmm. And um, some red legs from—and they called them red legs. This was a pro-abolitionist-backed— pro-abol- um, Northerners. Yeah, free state mm-hmm. backers. Mm-hmm. They were in Kansas, and there had been fighting. And a lot of people don't realize the fighting between the red legs or, or free state versus slave state on the Missouri-Kansas border had been going for almost 10 years before the Civil War started. Okay, okay. So there was already a lot of, lot of tension. You know, and you'd have a group of guerrilla fighters from Kansas raid Missouri, mm-hmm. and then Missouri would, you know, they'd gather up a posse and ride back and raid the can. It was just tit for tat. It was back kind and of forth. Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like a feud. Yeah. 
And it was, you know, then there was always a couple, and with any story, there's always some extreme cases where somebody got carried away and killed someone or, or any kind of other, you can name the atrocity. It happened. Um, when Jesse got involved, he was plowing on the farm out in the field and a group of Union-backed guerrillas, Kansas Jayhawkers, rode onto the farm. Um, they strapped him to his plow and severely beat him. Mm-hmm. and left him strapped to the plow. After they were done beating him, they rode on to the house where they found his mother, who some say was pregnant at the time. Um, and it's, the accounts vary. Some, some accounts claim they, they lashed her to a tree, stripped her, lashed her to a tree, and severely whipped her with a horse whip. Mm-hmm. And then they hung his stepfather, Dr. Reuben Samuel, yeah. until he didn't die, but he was brain severely damaged. brain damaged yeah. from, then, then from that day forward. Um, now, Frank wasn't present for that. Now, Frank was away, right? That's he wasn't right. on and the they, farm. And they allegedly rode onto the farm looking for Frank. Yeah, because Frank was involved in some activities. That's, that's right. right. He, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was, a, this was kind of a rough way to go. And we're talking now a lot of mercenaries at this point. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're ticked off. We lost. We're going to go get ours. Yeah. We didn't win the war, but we're going to get ours. Exactly. Okay. And then you had the retaliation. From the North. That's right. From the Union. So, okay, so it gets really convoluted. So continue yeah. here. So so the war starts, and you know, Frank, Frank, Jesse's older brother, had joined the regular Confederate forces. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse wanted to join. They wouldn't take him because he was too young. Mm-hmm. So, and he was furious. Uh, and, you know, at that age, he just wanted revenge. So he found a group who would take him, and that was Quantrell's guerrillas. And these guys They're were rough. like special forces these days, only without, they made their own rules pretty they were, much. Weren't they called Quantrill's Raiders? Quantrill's our- Raiders. Uh, some called them guerrillas. It was yeah. different names. Uh, they supposedly had a flag. It was made for them later in the war, but it was a black flag with the letter Q. Some said it stood for a Quantrill. Others said no quarter because they gave no quarter to any, uh-huh. any soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of varying accounts, but they were said that they didn't give, they would kill any male of fighting age. So if you look at how young Jesse was, they were killing people Jesse's age, early teens on up. Um, and that, so they, they killed a lot, of, a lot of people. And they were actually very skilled at what they did, which is where Jesse and the gang later had, they, they learned everything they, they learned about bank robbing in the Civil War. In the Civil War. Yeah, and they just, they used, utilized those tactics for their outlaw career. Now, somewhere in here, and tell me, I might be getting these things confused. Now, weren't the federales, you know, the federal agents mm-hmm. looking for Frank? Yes, they were. Yeah. After and the Frank, Civil that was War part of what ended. was called the bushwhackers That's right. of the day. They were so called, they're the bushwhackers. Exactly. They were Quantrill's guerrillas. Some called them bushwhackers. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of different names. Yeah, you didn't want to mess with them. That's right. Okay. That's yeah. right. So people, a lot of people died. People it, died. People died. Uh, so they're looking for him, and is now at one point, is it, how do you say the mother's name again? So, Zerelda. 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 Let's talk about his mom for a moment. Okay. Now, Zerelda, from what I read in different accounts, was considered a very commanding woman, six foot tall for the day. People were much tinier then. Yeah. Six feet tall and had a very masculine will. She did. She, <laughs> she was from Kentucky. That's now, true. let's talk about that influence on Jesse and Frank, because those women were tough. Yeah, she grew up, and she actually came from a well-to-do family, very well mm-hmm. educated. She grew up, most, much of her life was spent at a Catholic school for, mm-hmm. for women, or for girls, 
And um, she met her husband, Robert Salee James, later on in life. They met and got married. Uh, but before that, she'd also spent part of her life in the Black Horse Tavern, which was owned by her, her uncle. And that was, I believe, where some of the rough edges came in. So <laughs> she'd seen, I, I would imagine she'd seen a little bit of everything. <laughs> fights, gunfights, and, and everything else. So, Well, she was fiercely protective of her family and her boys. That's true. And I'll, I'll give a quote toward the end of this of what she swore to, to the end. You know, yeah. she, th these, these were her boys. She was six foot tall. Yeah. Um, at, at, after, you know, once she, at adult, as an adult, she was six foot tall. They yeah. said she was so strong, she could knock a man out with one hit. And I thought, well, they had to have known that somehow. <laughs> she had to have knocked a few people out for that to get around. Uh, and she was very, very uh, open. Well, she, she, did, she wasn't shy about expressing her opinion regarding politics or anything else. A lot of people claim she was a hard, you know, a, that woman's hard to deal with. And yeah. at, at well, the time. Well, they use the term mannish. Yeah. And at yeah. the time, women didn't do that. No. You know, that, <laughs> no. and that wasn't. But when she's big enough to knock a man out, I guess they had to put up with it. Well, so. <laughs> okay. Now this gets into another part. Now, j just straighten me out on the timeline here. At one point when they came looking, didn't she, wasn't there an explosion in her house? And she lost an arm. We have a picture of that. Yeah, she yeah. lost an arm and she could probably still take someone on with the other one. That's, that's, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she, she, uh, it was later on in, in Jesse's career when they were, Jesse and Frank were robbing in the James mm -hmm. gang, uh, the Pinkertons got involved and there was a Pinkerton who was looking to, uh, blow the whole thing wide open. Now tell and, us and, about who the Pinkertons were. Okay. They were a detective agency during okay. the civil war. Some, uh, Alan Pinkerton, who was the head of it, had, he and some of his men had served as, uh, it was before the Secret Service, and they protected people like Abraham Lincoln and others, uh, generals. So they, they let Abraham down a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they did. Um, so they they were they were skilled at their job, mm -hmm. and their motto was "We never sleep." You know, they mm -hmm. they they hound, like hound dogs. They'd get on a trail and they'd catch their man, and they never caught Jesse or Frank. And um, it seemed to me they were getting desperate. They wanted to catch their men. Mm -hmm. And they, it's claimed, it was claimed at the time that they thought Jesse and Frank were in the house, in, mm -hmm. in their mother's home. And it, it was just, in reality, Jesse's mother was there, her nine-year-old son, which was Jesse and Frank's half-brother, mm -hmm. Archie Peyton Samuel, mm -hmm. and her, uh, their, her husband, Dr. Reuben Samuel. So in the middle of the night... The Pinkertons lit what they called a, they called it Greek fire. It was said to have been a torch. It was actually a bomb. Later on in, in history, not actually, I think it was in the 90s, it was proven that it was actually a bomb they mm -hmm. threw in the house. So they threw a bomb in. It woke Zarelda up, and it woke everybody up. They were all in the living room by the uh, fireplace. Mm -hmm. Zarelda was trying to move it with a shovel into oh. the fireplace, and it exploded. Oh. It took her left arm off. It killed mm -hmm. her, her son. Archie, mm -hmm. and mangled the right hand, I believe it was, of, of her husband, Dr. Reuben Samuel. How did this stoke Frank and Jesse? They wanted blood. Uh, they didn't. They, they're said to have killed their neighbor who was spying on them for the Pinkertons. It was a man who didn't like them. Um, he'd always, he'd been spying on them, and after that, that, that was, he met his end. Uh, when that happened, it, it's interesting in our, we have Jesse's daily journal. It was, mm -hmm. It's not so much a diary because he didn't talk about his feelings. He just plotted <laughs> the, the facts down. <laughs> but um, he, 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 
it, in the diaries, what, what would be the nature of an entry by Jesse? It would be, you know, went to the store, bought calico for 15 cents, flour, mm-hmm. um, or like when he detailed the, the trip he took with the boys, Mm-hmm. Um, and several, and he named them by name, several of the known gang members. They, they went on a robbing spree. They jumped a train, went to Shreveport, hopped a riverboat, and there's the whole, everywhere they had gone in that trip, there had been robberies. He didn't say he <laughs> robbed anything, but there, there were robberies. And an interesting point about that, before I forget, while, while he was writing in, you know, making entries in the journal on, the, on that robbing spree, he was in Louisiana, and he stayed the night at the at the house of a man named Gervais Fontenot. And Gervais Fontenot, I thought, well, this is an interesting name, and I'd like, you know, I researched everyone associated mm-hmm. with him. So in doing research for Gervais, I found out he was a retired U.S. Marshal. And I thought, why would Jesse yeah, stay why would with a retired that? U.S. Marshal? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. But it went further. Uh, Gervais Fontenot was also the nephew of Jean Lafitte the famous pirate Jean Lafitte. Right. And it sounds, I thought, oh my God, this is insane. Well, pirates and, and the Old West bank robbers have yeah, a lot in common. It, kinda, it, it, yeah. it almost, to me, it helped maybe feed the idea of a bigger network than just Jesse. Yeah. But uh, going- Interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. So you said, you were talking about Cameron, you said, interestingly, a lot of the robberies took place in the South where he was a Southerner. I mean, that was his affiliation. Yeah. So why why was that? Well, I'd been asked that question a lot by people. Why, if he was, you know, if he fought for the South, why was he robbing in the South? And what a lot of people don't realize is after the end of the Civil War, most of the banks and uh, a lot of professional attorneys, judges, banks, they they couldn't, former Confederates couldn't hold those positions for a while. It was during Reconstruction. Uh-huh. And a lot of the banks were run by Northern interests, which is why, which would explain why they were hitting those banks. Right. Just, you know, they, they, they felt they were bitter to begin with. They'd lost the war. They didn't get their way. And on top of it, the banks were being operated by their, their old enemies. Yeah. And okay. what better place to hit than. Yeah. Than so the these bank. are, these are jacked up youth too. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are still pretty young in their yeah, 20s. Yeah. And so he wants to make a name for himself. He wants to amass some wealth. He can't seem to find a way to do it legitimately. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that Quantrell's guerrillas were, were outlawed. They never were granted amnesty like the rest of the Confederate forces. Well, and that's important to know, too. The Confed- Even war crimes, if mm-hmm. you were in the military, those were they were granted amnesty. Yeah. But if you went beyond that and you went into the mercenary side, no amnesty. No amnesty. You were hunted down. No quarter. No quarter. And, and so the war never really right. ended for them. Right. Which was, I can see, I mean, they were young. They, they weren't getting amnesty. Right. So you're branding an outlaw, and I can see where they would Why maybe Why not just keep think, the gig going? Exactly. Live so up to your name. let's talk about the gig. It was mostly robbing stagecoaches, trains, and banks. That That's was right. their gig. And then the movies and everything else portrays yeah, that. Yeah, Okay. So they were productive. I mean, they in terms of the take, they knocked over some pretty, you know, uh, well, I, I, well-moneyed banks and such. For yeah. example, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Okay. But let's talk about the let's talk about some of the crimes that were committed in terms of where the locations and what the booty was, because okay. later in life he he supposedly was seen by people that visited their home and relatives had buckets of gold and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liberty, Missouri, was one of their first robberies, and that right. that was that uh, was that one. I think yeah. it. It was over $60,000 they got from that. That also is where a tragedy happened. Um, 
Joseph Wymore, I believe was his name. I may have that wrong. Trying to, there's so many names involved in the story. But it was a young man uh, was in the street while they were riding away from the bank, and they, they'd yelled at him, move. He didn't move, so Cole Younger just you know, shot him, mm-hmm. got him out, made him, you know, yeah. ended it, uh, and they got away. So it was a bank robbery and a murder. And a murder. Now, in that bank robbery, this this is where we get into another part of the legend, because a lot of the romanticized, you know, billionaire on horseback part of our psyche that likes to romanticize this, he was given kind of the PR title of a Robin Hood. Yeah. Now, let's talk about how that happened and who, who created that story. Yeah, well, uh, there was a news reporter named John Newman Edwards, who was a former Confederate himself, and he was bitter. And I think that he was also uh, known to be a heavy drinker. And he (laughs) embellished a lot. And on top of, I guess, the alcohol would just add to the fuel to the fire. Right. But he sided with Jesse and the gang, and he looked at them as knights, you know, avenging angels or knights. And and the knight part actually goes back to the billionaire on horseback. It right. reminds me, everybody seems to love the the tragic hero. Right. And, you know, it was the knight, like uh, King Arthur's knights, for example, right. Lancelot. Yeah. You know, he, he was a great man. He was a great knight, skilled, honorable, but he had his flaws. Yeah. And that's the tragedy of the whole thing. Yeah. And I, it's almost like human nature just, just, oh, magnified. And, and, people, and maybe it's us. Maybe it's us um, either avoiding or trying to contend with, or trying to make excuses for even our yeah, own shadow side. That's true. The things that we'll put up with and that we'll perpetuate. And that's exactly right. What they're doing, what most people wished they could or would do, but could just wouldn't do. Well, it. I mean, just the sheer uh, guts and stealthfulness it took for these guys to get away with this for that long. That's true. I mean. It, it, I don't know who isn't intrigued with this, you know, bank heist. These these shows do great, you yeah. know, on Netflix and all that. Everyone yeah. loves a good bank heist where the guys get away with it because you've bonded with their their personalities and such. So this is this story is no different. But the fact is, he was created as a Robin Hood. So they, this fellow made him into a Robin Hood. He did. But I mean, that wasn't exactly true. In fact, one thing that Jesse really enjoyed was the publicity. He did. So let's talk about that because he he leave behind his calling card. He Jesse's had, been here. That's true. He had calling cards, and I, when I found out about that, my mother used to die laughing about that. Uh, you know, they would rob a train, and women would ask for their autograph. After they just they didn't rob women, and they didn't rob men who uh, had calloused hands. So if you were yeah. a working man, yeah. they'd leave you alone, and they left. The, the ladies along. So women would ask for their autographs because yeah, they'd re- read about them. Yeah. And a lot of it, by that time, his, you know, they were celebrities in a sense. Oh, yeah. And they, it was, it was almost like, wow, I got robbed by a celebrity. And they just, <laughs> and, you know, they didn't take the ladies' money. So, but, but if the man didn't have calloused hands, they'd, they'd take their money, didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. They looked at them as bankers and, and, you yeah. know. In, we're, in, we're making an honest living. Exactly. Exactly. So they were <laughs> like glad they were to, making yeah, an honest living. As if they living. were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the irony. So. <laughs> well, let's talk about that Liberty Bank robbery. I wrote this down because basically that bank. So we talk about the reality of what happened with the Liberty Bank robbery. Yeah. So the bank was forced to call in all loans. Now, that's a tremendous hardship. Mm-hmm. They also ended up after they the bank closed, they were forced to close. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, after they called in the loans, I guess that's where most of the money came from. But they were only able to pay the depositors, you know, basically 60 cents on the dollar. So yeah. a lot of hardworking 
poor people lost a lot of money. They lost a lot of this money. This was not a rob. It hurt the thing. community as a whole. It hurt the community. So, but and, nonetheless, here we have this other, you know, the legendary kind of information being peddled, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now here we go into where the story uh, changes, the traditional story about what happened to him. First of all, how many big heists did they pull off? And then do you have any idea of just oh, the sheer volume off, of heists? Off the top of my head, they, they pulled off a lot of heists mm-hmm. and it varied. Sometimes later later in their career, it was a lot less money in some cases, but mm-hmm. then other other times they took, it was an undisclosed amount of money. They wasn't listed as that usually, right. but you, there's it's hard to tell exactly how much was taken. Mm-hmm. Like, um, for one example, and well, I don't want to get off on a rabbit hole with mm-hmm. that, but Akabak Brothers Bank in Corridan, Iowa, mm-hmm. they, I, don't, I don't remember how much they took, but that dealt, it seemed, in the background with a lot more, uh, uh, there was, it went a lot deeper than just a bank robbery. There was a man named Henry Clay Dean who was a Southern supporter. They called him a copperhead. Mm-hmm. And you can read about Mark Twain. Des- uh, he described him as a filthy man with a voice like a volcano. Mm-hmm. He, it, his oratory skills were legendary, and mm-hmm. he would draw people from 50 miles around. Well, when they robbed the bank, Henry Clay Dean happened to be there. He, he'd drawn everybody to a different side of town from the bank, the opposite end of town. So he, the, they're in collusion. Yeah, they're all mm-hmm. over here. The brother, you know, the James gang rides in, just waltzes in, takes the money, no trouble. Mm-hmm. Nobody to chase them. Jesse even rode by with the gang and said, hey, the bank got robbed. And people shushed them because they wanted to hear the speech. And, <laughs> and they didn't realize it was actually true until after Jesse and them were long gone. We told you. Yeah. He, he walked by. Talk about bold. That, no, but, that's bold. I mean, that, but a lot of what he did also, was bold. It ties back in with what you had mentioned about his need for celebrity. Yeah. He loved it and they enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, and they, you know, it was, it was almost taunting with people. Yeah. Catch well, me how many can. people were in the gang, by the way? The, it varies. There were yeah. at times, they would, and their gang would also split up uh, like his cousin Wood Height. Mm-hmm. who we believe right. is the man in the grave it, uh, right. portrayed as Jesse. Right. He uh, he would lead robberies. And uh, there were a lot of stories. People would wonder how Jesse could rob a bank in one state on the same day. You know, or in as two different states on the else. same day. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times they would split up. It was the same old guerrilla tactics mm-hmm. they learned in the war. Right. You hit multiple targets, split up, and, and, right. and it confuses those chasing you. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaUnexplained.com. Okay, so now we get to the Minnesota bank robbery, and where the story starts becoming interesting even more so, because we're getting into, there are different claims about when his identity changed. Let's talk about fake identity now. Okay. Um, in 1871, he came to Texas. It was shortly, it was right after the Akabak brothers bank robbery. Mm-hmm. And they, that was up in Corridan, Iowa. He went toward, he rode west to, uh, the, and the gang usually would split up after a robbery, which also helped confuse people, you know, their, their pursuers. But he, he, we know, went to Nebraska and then he rode south straight to Texas. It took a while. He got into Texas, 
met Thomas Hudson Barron, his future father-in-law, in outside of Fort Worth, and then they both they split up at different places, and they'd come back together, and they met at the uh, Barron Ranch near south of Waco, mm-hmm. and that's when he his name. Before he got there, he had taken the name of one of his cousins, the James Lafayette Courtney, mm-hmm. and that cousin right. was very hard to find. Um, we you can find reference of him here and there, but he just kind of disappears off the pages of history. So by the time they go back up and they're robbing this bank in Minnesota, I have it here as 1876. Mm-hmm. After that, they went to Tennessee. Was he going by the name of Courtney then at that time? He was. And so he, was he not leaving his calling card of Jesse James anymore? No. And when they robbed Minnesota, he wasn't there. We don't believe he was there. The history states he was there, and that's the end of the James gang. And it was, in a big part. Let's we talk believe, about that, too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we ahead. believe Wood Height, his first cousin, who bore a strong resemblance to him, was leading the the robbery in Minnesota, and that's where the younger brothers met their their end. Mm-hmm. That was the end of their career, and Wood Height got away, but it wasn't Jesse; it was Wood and Frank. So, and they got away. Uh, there's there's uh, and you know, and that's in in Northfield, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And right after the robbery, where does Frank? Where does Frank, whose knees his knees had a, I think he had a bullet lodged in one of his knees. He'd been shot up. Where does he go after that? Instead of a, a doctor in that region, he he rode all the way to Texas and was met in Texas. And there's even um, old news articles about Frank right after the, the robbery was found in Texas at a doctor in Waco who removed the bullet. And the doctor would never come forward. You know, they wanted yeah. to find the doctor. He never would come forward. Sure. So it, uh, it understandably so. This is just something filtering in my head. Does this have anything to do with what was called the Northfield, Minnesota raid? Yeah. That was right after that. Uh, right during that, well, after the raid, that's when Frank rode to, to Waco. Not, not well. So that raid was one that supposedly involved Jesse James. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's that. Yeah. Okay, now this was serious because now they're being hunted. Yeah. Seriously hunted after this. They were. They've been pushing it for years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that, let's talk about what happened after on that. On the backstory on the Northfield, Minnesota robbery, one of the generals, one of the most hated northern generals, uh, Silver Spoon's butler, was his, I think is what they called him. He had gone through Louisiana. He had, he had even, according to some reports, burned uh, a barn with uh, slaves in it. I uh, mean, things like that. He, yeah. he just went through, through Louisiana, rape, rape, cool. like just a, a cool. campaign of terror. Yeah. And there, there was bad done on both sides. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, Butler knew the owners of the bank, and I think he may have been on the board of the, the Northfield, Minnesota Bank. Okay. And he was tied in with a more powerful family who had ties to the Rockefellers. It was real interesting trying to, you know, researching the, back, the people who dealt, who owned the bank. And I wondered how much that had to do with them. Why would they choose a target so far out of their normal Why? range? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And I had a feeling it had to do something to do with Butler. Um, and maybe deeper interest. Was I'm that a sure. big take? You it, know, a lot of booty out of that one? It should have been, but it wasn't because they were ready for him. They were ready for him, yeah. Some, somehow they'd got tipped off. Right. Now let's talk about the official story of what happened to Jesse James. Okay. Let's talk about the family story about what happened to him and get further into Wood Height. Okay. Okay. Um, well, the official story 
the, just a historical story is Jesse James, you know, most of it, you know, where he was born and dur during the Civil War is the same as our story. Mm -hmm. uh, after the Civil War, he, he joined, he, they, they formed a gang. They, their first robbery was Liberty, Missouri and, you know, the career. Where it differs is in 1882, history states that Bob and Charlie Ford, uh, who were part of the, the new James gang after the, the disaster at uh, Northfield, Minnesota, they they got together and shot Jesse in the back of the head mm -hmm. at his at his home, his alleged home in St. Joseph, Missouri. Um, they shot him in the back of the head. They thought they'd be heroes and they were going to get a big reward. And that's that there. They ended up being demonized and, you know, just cowards. And there were songs written about him, the dirty little coward who shot Mr. Howard. And Howard was allegedly Jesse's alias at the time while he was living in St. Oh, Joseph, Missouri. Interesting. So, uh, so that, that's basically the end of the historical story of Jesse. Now, the family story was that he changed his name, came to Texas. Now lived, he's Howard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and Not when, Courtney anymore. Well, during that, that Howard name was actually his cousin Wood Height, his alias. And, and Wood Height was killed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And his body passed off as Jesse. Right. That was what our research ended up uncovering. But um, the family story was that Jesse changed his name to James Lafayette Courtney, which was one of his cousins. And he lived out his life in Texas on, as a peaceable farmer, but he still went on robbing sprees. Only when he would come back, he would always come back a different a different route from that which he left. And mm -hmm. he would, you know, he was just another, he's a peaceable farmer. But people in his area, yeah. Well, and uh, the interesting thing, but there's so many side stories on this. Like after the Civil War, a lot of Quantrell's guerrillas they weren't granted amnesty. Mm -hmm. Many of them had changed their names, and they all they all lived. Not all of them, but many of them lived in the Blevins, Texas area. Oh, interesting, because that's where the family ended. Yeah, and some of those guys themselves would go on robbing trips with Jesse. Not every time, but occasionally. They were if they needed extra money. If they needed money. some cash. Yeah. Okay. So where? So Jesse was there in Blevins, supposedly when that when the others were killed mm -hmm. um, yeah. up north. He was okay. in Blevins in his diary, according to his his journal. He was in Blevins during that robbery. Okay. I thought, which really threw us off at first, and we started. That was before we'd realized Wood Height was actually the one at the robbery and not Jesse. And they bore a strong resemblance. They just weren't, it, it was Wood Height and not Jesse. And Wood was Jesse's first cousin. So how, okay. So the official story is he's dead, but he's not. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you have some pictures of Oh yeah, we've got the uh, coffin. And, and that was the thing. We, when mom stumbled across this, we were looking for, at family photos. And she didn't just say, oh, this is Jesse. I'll write a book, you know. We went to, uh, she went to three highly qualified experts. One was Texas Parks, of, uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, mm -hmm. like the state police. Mm -hmm. um, the other was the Austin Police Department Photographic Forensics Lab. And the third was called, uh, at the time, Visionics. They were facial uh, leaders, world leaders in facial recognition technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all three groups, not paid at all, they did it on their own time, agreed those were the same photos, the historical photos of Jesse and our family, family photos. Family photos. So we went further, and uh, even Jesse's mom, the DPS, highlighted her dress, uh, like in, in historical photos and family photos. She was wearing the same dress, had the same missing arm, mm -hmm. same facial features, everything. Yeah. 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 So we, we had that, and mom thought, God, they're going to be so happy when they know Jesse wasn't killed like everybody thought he was. 
And that was the last thing gr a group in Missouri wanted to hear. Uh, they didn't want to hear that at all. They thought it was changing. I, I have a feeling, and this is just my, my opinion, I thought they had $7 million a year coming into their little uh, their museum mm -hmm. every year from tourism, and mm -hmm. I think that may have played a, a role. Oh, in and it's like any museum you go to. Yeah. They don't want the history changed. Yeah. They're making their money off of yeah. their own history. Uh, that's understandable. So, yeah. But and then you know after that she that she didn't let that stop her. She wrote her first book. Mm -hmm. She had a an article in Texas Monthly. Then she wrote a second book, and after that book came out, she ended up getting death threats from people who were connected to, or they knew people at the museum in Missouri. And uh, I'm not going to mention their names, but the FBI fortunately stepped in and put an end to that. Uh, yeah. Let me, there's, uh, oh gosh, I Which hope goes I, back into the tough, um, I didn't mean no, to. No, you go ahead. Well, like strong women. Mom. Oh, yeah. Mom, and it, the interesting <laughs> thing to me, Zerelda had her left arm, you know, it was blown off. Mom's left arm was, uh, she'd crushed her elbow and her arm was, it, she always carried, it was just interesting, it, interesting. almost like history rhyming in a way. Yeah, almost like, yeah. And she was I a very you. strong character, just much like Zerelda, not as strong as Zerelda and definitely not as tall. Yeah. But she, she was She a, was very a strong, strong character lady. and she brought this forward. Yeah. I wanted to say that right here I thought I'd put down, which is interesting because it talks about the need for publicity, but also these this desire for grandeur, okay? Yeah. This is a quote you have there. We're not thieves. We're bold robbers. I'm proud of the name. Um, Alexander the Great was a bold robber, as was Napoleon and Julius Caesar. And he's proud to be among them. That's yeah. how he saw himself. That's true. There's so, a little narcissism a in little there, bit I would of, say. Yeah, a little bit so. of narcissism <laughs> in there. So here we have your mom. So now this is this is happening. These guys are buried away in Blevins. According to your family, Jesse lived to be what age? 97 years old. 97. Died so he, in 1943. 1943. Now, he also is said to have had eight children. Yeah, seven children. Seven? Well, that we know of. There's another that may be his. That's a mystery. It's okay. still a mystery. So uh, what he did do is he, he, he amassed a massive amount of wealth mm -hmm. to buy land. That's right. And so what I do understand is he may not have been a Robin Hood, it appears, but he did share with his kids. He did. And so when they reached marriageable age, they would each inherit uh, their own land and their own home. That's right? right. And that's how they continued. Now, where in there is your line? My, uh, his daughter, Ida, mm -hmm. married my, she was my great-grandmother. She married, oh, well, she married uh, Dorset, and it, uh, Mr. Dorset, anyway, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, and that's, that's going to drive me crazy all day, sorry. Yeah. But uh, his daughter, Ida, married Mr. Dorset, and they had my grandfather, who had my mother. Okay. And, so okay. It was my grandfather's grandfather. And you're still in Texas. Mm -hmm. So your family stayed in Texas. Yes, about probably 45 to 50 miles from where Jesse lived. So they say, I mentioned this earlier, that witnesses in the day said he had just buckets of gold lying yeah. around, sitting around. He, anyone could see. And he, I think he had his, one of his sons counting the cash that he also had. Yeah. Wanted to count it on a regular basis. Was probably to reinforce his own ego at this point. Yeah. Clearly he had enough money to do whatever he wanted. In a way, and I don't know why he had Byron doing that. One of his sons, Byron, every, he, there was a steamer trunk full of cash. Yeah. And Byron would have to count it on a yeah. regular basis. Like you said, that always amazed me. Did, but, you know, I think about it in an, as he was growing older, maybe it was just to reinforce his own legacy in his mind. It could have been. It could you know? have been, and maybe, I don't know if he was trying to teach Byron. I don't know why, why Byron. 
why didn't he make the others do the same thing? Mm -hmm. It was always Byron. So uh, Byron had to count the cash. Byron ended up stealing. Or <laughs> There's a lot of family stories that turn into arguments with some of the older family members. But they, uh, Byron had uh, wanted some money, and his dad wouldn't give it to him, so he burned his barn down. And it was just things like that, like yeah. a, like a spoiled brat. Yeah. And he threw a tantrum and burned his barn. Right. Which is a little extreme, but yeah. I get apparently extremism ran in that little that line of the, those several generations. Is there so. are there some lines of the family that kind of still have wealth that were able to parlay it and accumulate more? Yeah, there were without uh, robbing banks. I'm there, assuming there are no more bank robbers in the no, lot. No, no. Okay. No more bank robbers. All right. Uh, one branch of the family had a lot of money, but they also had. Jesse had gone around buying land, as you'd mentioned, right. and a lot of that land that he'd bought up in North Texas, not far from Lubbock, ended up having oil under it later on. So <laughs> the kids he bought, he gave that to. Yeah. Had, oil, had oil barons. Yeah. They Robber up, baron to oil baron. <laughs> yeah. They, so, but they had sold a lot of that land, but they were yeah. still getting royalties. And that things get fuzzy on that. I don't Whoa. know if they found some of the treasure and just didn't report it. Now, or, did, that's what I wanted to ask you about next. Did he bury he a, lot a lot of the treasure? He buried a they lot. They saw and the buckets, but there was stuff under the ground. Yeah, it, yeah. There was a, there were yeah the thirteen buckets with with gold and yeah. silver in yeah. them. He buried he, those were above ground. Right. I think they were covered with uh, hog fat, just mm -hmm. lard that they used yeah. for cooking, and that went to his mo his uh, his widow, which was his third wife. Mm -hmm. uh, she she uh, that he left that in the will. She got it, and half the fam half of his children. Wrote the the state, you know, and any politician they could, trying to get those lard buckets back. And I thought, how silly does that sound? Mm -hmm. You know, he gave her thirteen buckets of lard, and we want it back. It yeah, seems yeah, a little yeah. trite. Yeah. But uh, the the reason why they it had, had other stuff. In it. Yeah. Yeah. Hard but, to uh, lift, heavy heavy lard. He had, yeah, he had he had left a lot of land, mm -hmm. and then some of those same families mm -hmm. that that branch of the family, and of course it was also the times. They didn't they didn't want to admit they were ashamed of having. In a known outlaw as their their dad or their right. grandfather, right? And they just wouldn't. You didn't talk about that, right? Whereas today, it's it sounds interesting and cool, historically yeah. interesting. They, they yeah. didn't want anything to do with it, but they didn't have a problem taking his money either. So. Right, right. Well, I'm sure. Okay, so in the book, it talks about Templar treasures and uses the word Freemasonry. What is the, what is the actual link? Because it seems like it's kind of nebulous. Yeah. Well, Jesse. He passed down along with the family photos, there was a, a treasure map. And it wasn't your typical, you know, you think treasure map and it's like a dotted line leading to an X 40 paces from a, an oak tree or something. Right. This one was completely different. He wrote in code, which was easy to break. He mm -hmm. would substitute letters, numbers for letters and, and reverse or forward, you know, just he yeah. would switch it up. But it was like so much in gold buried here, so much in silver and even buried greenbacks, what they called Greenbacks, you know, yeah, money in the, at the day. Time. Um, but it was a geometric design, and I, there was no topographical markers even mentioned. So we had no clue as to where it was. Nobody would found it. And uh, I got to, you know, so I started with that. I was researching that, and I knew that he was a Freemason. And it was kind of a, uh, it was stumbling into something. I, I had no idea how, how far it would lead. Um, just from thinking it might be a saddlebag of, of treasure to 
amounts of treasure that Jesse had never even, he'd never even robbed that much money. Right. Uh, there was a guy named, mom had written her first book and mm-hmm. a man named George came out of the shadows. He was a Freemason. Uh, where were, where was this Freemasonry located? I mean, where did they begin that path? Was well, that in Missouri? Jesse, Jesse, and see, that's a good that question. Jesse was a Freemason under his alias. But we don't know if he was a Freemason before Yeah, that that's what I was saying. It's, it's kind of nebulous. That, the yeah, thing. it's kind of yeah. hard. Now, I would love to find a lodge where the part of the membership said Jesse, Jesse James. James. Yeah, would be awesome. yeah would. But then they might not want to put sure, that out sure, there. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, and I, I myself am a Freemason. I joined mm-hmm. just after all the research I did. Yeah. But Jesse, Jesse had joined. I'm not sure if it was under his alias or his real name. Now, according to, to Freemasonry, you can't. You can't go under an alias. You join under your real name. Right. But I'd say that was a special circumstance. He wasn't telling everybody who he really was. And back then it was so easy to Likely. hide your identity. Yeah. But uh, so back to the Freemasonry part. He was a Freemason. A lot of the guerrillas around him, former guerrillas, were Freemasons as well. Um, they had treasure. And that, that gets real murky, too. I'm not sure where they got all the gold they had. This man named George... When, when Jesse was old, like in his late 80s, George was around 12, 13 years old. George was hired by Jesse to move 700 bars of gold, each about 15 pounds each. Jeez. So it was big, heavy ingots of gold, and it was 700 bars. Wow. The, if you look at the history, the known history of all the robberies, it doesn't amount to that much. Right. That's a, a fortune. So he, they... Tapped into some other yeah, treasure. Yeah, it was some. It came from somewhere else, somewhere which is else. what got so me. So that out. and that map, mm-hmm. that odd kind of map, geometric map, is what kind of took you down that yeah. road. So we had the map. We didn't know where it was, but it was rumored it was at Jesse's house, mm-hmm. somewhere on his property. Then George told us he drew my mother and I a map where, and he was a Freemason, a Scottish Rite Freemason, and a World War II vet. Mm-hmm. And he, it sounds like a typical treasure story. He drew us the map, and a few years later, he died. Yeah. But he, he told us exactly where it was, and when we went to find so to locate it, we were so happy. We thought we we're going to get some treasure. Yeah. It was on Fort Hood Military Base. Oh. It's an Army base down near, um, between Waco, near Temple, Texas. Yeah. So we thought, yeah, we're not going on a base. Yeah, no, that's that. not going to happen. So, but that gave us another location. Yeah. And around the same time, uh, former Attorney General for the state of Texas, Wagner Carr. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he, he was friends with LBJ, and there's a lot of other things he'd, he'd been involved with, but he was interested in Jesse. He had his driver, after a couple of years of talking to mom, he had his driver pick, take my mother and I to uh, several locations of large, where large catches of treasure had been recovered. One of them, he told us, was uh, recovered by the Texas Rangers, or the, re- the Texas Rangers oversaw the recovery. Mm-hmm. But, and when we asked what they did with it, he wouldn't say. He didn't. It, it just stopped there. Mm. And I thought, okay, we know not to. I mean, this, the, he was an important man. I didn't want to push it, and neither did Mom. But he, he showed us the locations, which gave me several more points. And when you lay the, there was a, this is where it, it goes into another part of the story. There was a group called the Knights of the Golden Circle. Yeah, now those guys were a little nebulous too. They I looked at that. Odd. They were yeah. they were looking to promote slavery 1200 miles. I mean to scale. the West Indies, Mexico. Yeah. They were down yeah. they were definitely doubling down on slavery. They wanted to take northern South America, yeah. all of Central America, yeah. the South yeah. in 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 the US and and make Havana Cuba their capital. Exactly. So yeah. let's talk about how Jesse's life intersects with that. Well, now a lot of people claim 
Jesse was a part of the Knights of the Golden Circle, mm-hmm. along with Albert Pike and several other mm-hmm. people. And then Albert Pike, most people, he was a 33rd degree Freemason. And um, I don't think he, there's no proof that he was part of the Knights of the Golden Circle. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me if either of them were because mm-hmm. the, the Knights of the Golden Circle during the Civil War were kind of like uh, secret service in a way. And they, they did a lot of uh, covert operations to slow down northern forces. Mm-hmm. Well, after the Civil War, their goals supposedly changed to amassing as much wealth as they could mm-hmm. any way they could to refund a second Civil War and gain their dream of having a slave empire. Right. And and we'd all agree that's not good. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know if Jesse was a part of that. There's You're no kidding. proof that he was. And yeah. a lot of groups like to lump people in just to give themselves some kind of credibility. I, right. I, it could be either way. So we get to this point now. First of all, I have a question. Yeah. Have you been approached for movie rights to redo the Jesse James story? No, not yet. I, I mean, I'm just thinking that's that seems to me like that's well, going to come and down I feel the road like at I'm, some point. I'm, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm keeping this in line with your answers because it is. Oh a yeah, no, no. You, it, story oh, I know, and because you're going on what evidence you've found. Other yeah. people have their stories. Everyone had a story. Yeah. And you're trying to piece it together. So it, this is interesting. Yeah. I find it interesting, but I find it really interesting. What's in us that loves this kind of yeah. stuff? That's, yeah. to me, the most interesting well, part of it. The Knights of the Golden Circle had a treasure template. Some tre- And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I don't know how true this is or mm-hmm. not. You know, And this came down later. I, it came, I finally stumbled on that. I overlaid that over all the spots that George and Wagner Carr and several mm-hmm. others had mentioned. And the, Jesse's house in the center, everything lined up perfectly. You just needed the scale, and that gave me the scale. It turns into a grid system that covers the Americas. It, it's not on every part of the Americas, yeah. but if there's a treasure associated with them, it's on that that template. Interesting. And well, that, the treasure was never found. The rest yeah. of the stuff was never found, right? That's right. To this day. So. Well, there's been a lot found, uh, but that's usually, people keep that under wraps. If somebody found it, most of them wouldn't say anything. But some, a lot of it's on private property. That's true. And right. that, there's a lot out there still, I yeah. believe. But, yeah. But the ones that have been found, people keep quiet. Well, just yeah, because I would think so. I'm not going to report it. it to the yeah. IRS. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, very good. Any final thoughts on this? This is oh, just God. a fascinating story before we sign off here. Oh, God. Final thoughts. It's, uh, it's an amazing story. Your final thoughts story. about Jesse and your own feeling about this man and your family lineage. Well, well first of all, you'd mentioned strong women. Without mm-hmm. the women in his life and in my life, none of this would have ever happened. Mm-hmm. My mom's the one that, that opened this story wide open. She's the one who proved a lot of this. I found a lot on, on the Jesse side of it, but mom did most of the work on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister and I helped her research. She was credible for that. And, and as for Jesse... His women fell into they. She molded his life in a large way. Uh, well, his she, father left when he was a young child, yeah. so so he was he was molded by his mother. And his mother said to her dying day, she said, "I have the two most devoted sons a mother could have." That's she was, and proud so of she him. was very proud of that's, her sons. That's true. So and, uh, and well. And the other part of it, just Jesse, he's, he's a mystery that the, the book's not closed on Jesse. Much of it has finally been solved, but there's still a lot, of, mm-hmm. a lot to be found. Well, keep on digging. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate your sharing this with us. It's been a fascinating ride. Thank you. It's my pleasure. To dial into the story further, you can find Daniel Duke's books on Jesse James through major booksellers. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Unexplained Podcast. To learn even more, 
go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaUnexplained.com.